Virginia, there may not be a Santa Claus, but there is a Galaxy Con, and guess who's coming? <laughs> it's going to be us, the Inglorious Trexperts in As Richmond, in- Virginia. Inglorious Live Tour 2023 continues. Wow. Darren and me, Mark A. Altman, will be in Richmond at GalaxyCon on, uh, when is it, Darren? It's March 24th through 26th. March 24th to March 26th in lovely Richmond, Virginia. And there are going to be a ton of great guests. But none of that matters because we're there. We're there. We are a ton of great guests. We are indeed. (laughs) And we're excited because GalaxyCon is where it's at. These guys put on great shows with great guests, a great dealer's room, and plenty of entertainment. And we'll and be more. doing and more. Yes, exactly. <laughs> the illusion of beauty and more. So uh I'm I'm really excited, Darren. It's gonna be a great chance to um well, I was gonna say a great chance for you to meet the fans. That's and, right. And uh for me for to us, meet the fans, not you. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> That's right. I'll be eluding uh, deadly scooter accidents, oh but uh, but I'm 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 excited because, uh, like I said, um, uh, the the Inglorious Live Tour, or I, as I call it, my farewell tour. This is like uh, the Who, you know. I'm I'm on my farewell tour, but we know how that turned out. Uh, they've been on the same farewell tour now for fifty years. That's right. Um, <laughs> uh, Forty years. That was years, a, that was a we, Godfather reference. Godfather <laughs> two, actually. Yeah, he died, died of the same heart attacks. It's, but uh, but it's 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 gonna be it's gonna be great. Um, Jody Whitaker is gonna be there. Rosario Dawson, Kevin Smith, uh, Bill Shatner, Brent Spiner. Um, no, this is Columbus. That's Columbus. <laughs> That's Columbus. You gotta I'm click talk- on the click on the Richmond one. I'm talking about Richmond, Virginia. I don't think they have all of their guests up they, yet. They don't. Uh, um, but Vincent but we're gonna be there. gonna be there. David Tennant's gonna be there. Oh, one of our favorite people. You know who's gonna be there. Not only is Bill Shatter gonna be there, Walt Koenig's gonna be there. We love Walt. Oh, good. Yeah, it'd be good to see him. Maybe we can. Uh, maybe, maybe we we'll, can uh... show him another movie he hasn't seen in thirty years. <laughs> Jonathan Frakes will be there. Gates is gonna be there, and nice. uh, they're just starting to announce some of these guests. But the list goes on and on. Um, and it's going to be, oh, Mariel Hemingway from my favorite movie, Manhattan. Nice. And, uh, maybe if we can moderate a panel with her, I guess she's there for Superman four, but we can talk about personal best in Manhattan. Oh, I think they will be, be go over the heads of the audience. They'll be like, what, 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 what's going on here? Um, Sarah <laughs> Douglas is going to be there. We haven't seen her since, oh, uh, be, since Lola's. Lola's. <laughs> yeah. Superman. That'll be great. Uh, Mark Pillow, nuclear man is going to be there. Nice. And of course, the great Barry Boswick, uh, yes. will be there star of such legendary movies as megaforce so uh it's going to be a ton of fun we're going to be there we hope you'll be there too uh check out galaxycon.com for all the details and we'll see you in richmond virginia this march hey darren have you heard about trexpers plus yet heard about it we've we've done it it's amazing of course i've heard about it it's so cool you're getting the whole trexpers experience but you're also getting a new podcast from us the inglorious trexperts deck 78 this is true it's it's like a it's like hanging uh with us in the lounge on a starship but also cool guests talking about cool subjects trek adjacent topics like right. alien battle beyond the stars robocop logan's run the black hole you name it and we'll, uh we'll, you know we'll be there who knows there might be a little uh, one about the godfather someday Oh, that'd be fun. Maybe I want to do that. Maybe won't be able to refuse that. <laughs> they won't indeed. So it's really easy to join. If you want to support uh, uh, the podcast and become a member of Trexpress Plus to get all the, the great Trexpress Plus goodness, 
You want to go to trexpertsplus.com, trexpertsplus.com and one take word, off one for savings. Out. Yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 uh, it, it, you, you can sign up. It's very easy. And then from there on out, you can enjoy the full experience and you can be find your way chosen. to deck 78, the hidden deck of the Starship <laughs> Enterprise and the Inglorious Trexperts where we hang out. Well, yeah, it's all good. Join us. TrexpertsPlus.com. Come, they told me. A newborn king to see. Our finest gifts we bring. To lay before the king. So, to honor him, when we come, little baby, I'm I have no gift to bring. That's fit to give a kick. Hey, this is Mark A. Altman. And this is Darren Dockerman. And Ashley Edward Miller. And we are the Inglorious Trexpers. And are we going to have a merry old time? Because you know who's here, who's returned to the scene of the crime? None other than the host with the most, the proprietor of the network, and uh, 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 a large figure in the world of science fiction, fantasy, and horror. It's none other than director, writer, editor, commentator, Robert Meyer Burnett is back with us. Oh my God, another year has gone by. Can you believe it? No, uh, but yeah. I actually look forward to these shows. Me too. Because they tradition. last longer than the rest of my life is gonna last, probably. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I have to admit, I'm gonna I'm gonna admit something. Don't tell anybody. I enjoy doing these two. They're yeah. fun. And I think even after I retire uh, next year, I will come back for the holiday specials if you gentlemen are kind enough to invite me. I, I can't imagine doing I it without you. I, I can't imagine uh, inviting you back. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Mark, who will succeed you? Not I don't know. You. We're going to bring in a series of guest hosts like they did on uh, yeah. uh, Siskel and Ebert when uh, when when um, uh, Siskel was uh, was ill and they, they had all these guest hosts with Ebert. I, uh, but I can I, promise I, it will I, not be Harry Knowles. I hope you succeed. <laughs> <laughs> We're just going to audition people. It'll be actually, it'd be, it'd be, you know, maybe Christopher Walken will come and, and do an episode with Darren. I don't think he will. Oh, okay. He's very well, busy. He's very busy. He's a busy man. Maybe Sean Connery will come. No. Gene Roddenberry? <laughs> Probably not. We'll see. These are, anyway. all, these are all people that are very expensive, Mark. You're cheap. <laughs> that's that's true. So um, 
So fascinating because, of course, we had many great holiday specials. We began uh, a few years ago with the uh, holiday special to vote the greatest Trek episodes, Star Trek episodes of all time. Uh, we continued the saga with greatest Trek moments of all time. We continued with last year's highly acclaimed, which we just wrapped up last week, right. uh, the 101 greatest sci-fi movies of all time. And uh, here we are with our new 2022 Inglorious Trexperts holiday special, and it is 101 greatest Star Trek characters of all time. It's, uh, you know, we're redefining the definition of megasodes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the eight-episode season is over. <laughs> we're back to 22-episode seasons here on the Trexperts. <laughs> but it's 22 episodes of holiday specials. Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It'll be interesting. How many episodes will this be? We have we no know. idea. Even even Ruck doesn't know. Yeah. You yeah. were planning for. And and we can count on. So, Rob, you'll have to also keep a count of how many of these are action figures. And, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 you know, uh, because I'm, there can be some glaring omissions that, that will need to be created that are not action figures. Well, you know, XO6 will probably jump right on that and make some new, uh, museum quality six scale figures. Well, I don't know. I'll believe it when I see it. They keep announcing things and then don't put them out. Well, they're pretty good. They've been, I mean, you know, Cisco and, uh, Tuvok are out there. They, you know, they're, oh, they're, good. Tuvok. Yeah. That's the Tuvok. one I've been really hoping would come out. Jesus, yeah, come on. I'd rather have two Vicks. Anyway, uh, and I like Tim Russ. It's no, there's no, I'm not casting aspersions on the great Tim Russ. I'm just saying, you know, I, I, I need a rock. I need a, a Disco McCoy long before I need a Tuvok. Disco McCoy is coming. Yeah, I, that's what I, I hear. So. Yeah, I mean, oh. he made this whole weird thing where he's like, uh, Oh, the, the the production line of Star Trek: The Motion Picture is delayed. Now I'm going to have to cancel all this stuff. I don't know what he's talking about. No, no, no. Don't worry. Don't worry. They're coming. I'm worried, Rob. Your revered Admiral Nagura. <laughs> That's who we need an action known. figure of. I know. Right, Admiral Nagura action figure. Yeah. We can all have. You can have meetings with him. It'll be great. That's right. We can have meetings and not film them. Rob, yeah. you, you must have a Tashira Mafuni action figure. I have. I actually have multiple. To share Mafuni action figures. You have you ever dressed one in a Starfleet uniform? Uh no, but well, that would be kind of that would be kind of fun to do. Maybe I should do that. Maybe I will well, put it to share Mafuni. I got something to tell you because um, I just uh, made a little trip to uh, eBay the other day, oh, sure. and uh, after uh, getting some inspiration from on Facebook, I found a uh, a Walton's father figure uh, by Mego. That looks exactly like Gene Roddenberry. Really? And if you buy the Mego Ralph Mouth from Happy Days, he's he's wearing that yellow sweater vest with the <laughs> oh white God. shirt oh that Gene God. Roddenberry is interviewed for the next generation in. And uh, I also have the Romulan commander outfit that Gene wore at that uh, first yeah, yeah. Uh, convention. So we're going to have a, a Gene Roddenberry Mego fest. Apparently, you have a lot of time on your hands, too. Ah, no, I don't, actually. <laughs> we, yeah, we, now have number one. we have our number one character on our list, Gene right. Roddenberry from the Waltons. The Gene uh, Roddenberry. <laughs> Good night, John Boy. Yeah, yeah. I thought he was going to say I got a Richard Thomas to do of my Battle Beyond the Stars action figure. No, I, um, I, I'll leave that to you. Yeah, is John Thomas. Wait, what? What? I don't know. You just... 
He's doing his, his The Americans collection. <laughs> <laughs> he was good, The Americans. Hey, so Rob, did you get the new Quentin Tarantino book? Yes, but I, haven't cracked, I haven't cracked it yet. It's good so far. That's what it's I good. hear. There's a lot about pretty maids all in a row, so I was very happy. By the way, I have not confirmed this myself, but apparently in Shatner's Doom book, he talks about free enterprise. Uh, that's news to me. I, uh, yeah, somebody, I hadn't heard that. Somebody tweeted it out. I, I have not looked to see if that is true or not. A lot of kind words about Free Enterprise lately. It's out there in the zeitgeist. Yeah, we got to yeah. get it out there again in the zeitgeist. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, uh, unfortunately, it's out of our hands. But boy, if anybody were to put it out, we would. nobody would be more happy than you and I. Because, of course, the 25th anniversary is rapidly approaching. Yes, it is. Can you believe um, that, Rob? Oh, uh, no. October of 2023 is the 25th anniversary when it first debuted. Oh, my Isn't God. Isn't that insane? So yes. is the movie as old now as Star Trek was? No. The movie came? No. Star Trek was still old. 25th right anniversary for Star Trek was uh, 92 or 91. Yeah. Okay. So we're not quite there yet. But almost. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's crazy. So anyway, we're here to talk about Star Trek's greatest characters. And it's exactly what it sounds like. We're going to talk any 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 character that has appeared on uh, Star Trek in canon. That means any of the shows uh, have appeared <laughs> and... Um, and 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 they're eligible now. Now, book characters are not eligible. Um, comic book characters. It's it's only characters that appeared in the show. So um, shows uh, in the shows. shows in the shows. That's right. It's, uh, in the various Star Trek shows. So um, this will be very interesting. Of course, uh, we have our usual band of Trek experts here again joining us. As we mentioned, Rob Burnett from the Burnett Work. He's also the editor and co-writer and director of Free Enterprise, producer of The Hills Run Red, and um, the producer of Agent Cody Banks, which uh, Ashley wrote. Ashley, of course, is a writer uh, for such uh, movies as Thor and X-Men First Class. And you may recall that he also um, uh, was the showrunner of Dota Dragon's Blood on Netflix, as well as a writer for such shows as Black Sails and Fringe. And of course, the great Derek Docterman, my co-host on this fine show aboard the Starship Trexpert, is uh, <laughs> a, con a noted concept designer who's worked on such uh, movies and TV shows as uh, The Late Unlamented Westworld, Star Trek Picard, Star Trek Voyager, Westworld, Riddick, the Chronicles of Riddick, X-Men 3, The Last Stand, and many, many others. And, of course, he is the visual effects supervisor for the Star Trek The Motion Picture. And director, producer. And associate producer. See, every time I bring that up, you say, not a producer. And uh, visual effects supervisor and associate producer of the Star Trek The Motion Picture Director's Edition, which if you don't own, you must buy for the holidays or have it on your Christmas wish list. And you better order it quick because they're going away. They're going like hotcakes. Yes. Have you ever bought hotcakes? I haven't. Sure you do. You buy them at the like, International House of Hotcakes. <laughs> I'm not a big fan of IHOP. Remember they changed to IHOP? International Did House they? of Burgers? They couldn't oh, make it right. happen. Yeah, no, that didn't yeah, work for no. you. It doesn't sound as good. IHOP on pop. Who wants no. to hob? Nobody wants to hob. Look, I like their pancakes, but their burgers are terrible. Well, don't Have go you ever had a burger? burgers. That's but if silly. they had just made it International House of Breakfast... Oh yeah, mm. there that's you go. interesting. But, but you can have breakfast for lunch or dinner. Yeah, I'm right. You can, and that's the beauty of. 
Oh, so it was a 24-hour breakfast, 24-hour seven breakfast. Yeah. Fascinating. 24 okay. hours so hungover or drunk or yes. else? We've never, uh, that's never happened to us. So we've anyway, never we're going Okay, out. so <laughs> this is this is the list, and we're, we're going to begin. Uh, um, this is, We obviously took a lot of time, and uh, I'm sure you as the audience will have a, a lot of thoughts of, of your own. You're welcome to share them through Inglorious Treks so. on the Twitter, Inglorious Treksperts on Facebook and Instagram. And uh, let us know um, your picks. But right now, it's the Trexpert's pick for the yes. top 101 Star Trek characters. Darren, why don't you start us off? I'm going to start us off with number 101 uh, in the uh, in what we call the one with the whales. Uh, the uh, strange uh, garbage can probe approaches Earth. And uh, it uh, it wreaks havoc with uh, various starships and uh, satellites and uh, planets and all sorts of things. And one of the uh, affected ships is captained by, uh, we never really know his name, but he's played by uh, tennis pro VJ Armitrage. Get me the Octown. It has been three hours since our contact with the alien probe. All attempts at regaining power have failed. It's using forms All of energy our best scientists do not understand. Given Can you protect us? We're launching everything we have. Support reserves. Our chief engineer is trying to deploy a makeshift solar sail. We have high hopes that this will, if successful, generate power to keep us alive. Or Armitage, it's Armitage. You have it wrong on the list, but it's Armitage. And uh, he he uh, makes a uh, startling report about how the crew is trying to construct a makeshift solar sail. Tennis net. Uh, <laughs> he's building a tennis net uh, out of uh, uh, solar sail material. And, Stone um, eyes and bearskins. They, they are hopeful that it will generate power. Uh, and it doesn't. Well, we don't how really do we know. How do we know that? We don't know. I mean, of course it would work, you know? He's well, he's, he's very crafty. He's a very, He knows uh, how to build a net. He knows how to jump over the net in victory, and uh, perhaps he knows Look, how to build I, a net. I think ship that showed thing. a lot of ingenuity on his part. The ship is out of power. What's he do? He, he doesn't sit in auxiliary uh, engineering and cry like a baby. He comes right. up with a uh, and, you know, solution. Hopefully, hopefully they're near a sun of some kind. If yeah. not, he's kind of out of Well, luck. he's kind of out of it. It's a problem. Uh, look, I think it, it would, we would both, all of us, all four of us would be remiss if we did not mention that this is canonically where the Star Trek universe joins with the James Bond feature <laughs> films. <laughs> of course, his distant ancestor his, right. uh, his, was VJ, an MI6 uh, intelligence operative in India in the James Bond, the 1983 James Bond adventure Octopussy, and clearly, the filmmakers, whether it was Nimoy or whether it was Nicholas Meyer, they clearly wanted to make that connection—the connection we've all wanted. James Bond and Star Trek, our favorite things as kids, right here, man. It's the it's the intersection of both great universes. But our favorite he, things as kids, as children. adults. <laughs> uh, I I will say that uh, uh, VJ is voted the saddest uh, starship captain ever. Uh, because his report is he's he's nearly crying. Let's face it. And, he is. Uh, you know he's brave, but he's also has Lucky. a tender heart. So he he foiled the nefarious plans of Kamal Khan, who attempted <laughs> to detonate a nuclear weapon in uh, 
West Berlin. So I have a lot of faith in this guy. <laughs> he defeated one con. He could defeat another con. He could certainly defeat a well probe. So, uh, and and he was very well going. His very fate is ingenious. unknown. His fate is unknown, much like the Kingston trio. He could and the still LDA. be out there looking out for the rest of us. That's right. I mean, I, like I always thought so. it was kind of sad that we didn't get to see these captains show up at the end at the trial. Well, probably because the reason is they all died. Yeah, oh, come on now. Theory. I'd like no, to they, they, they should have come back. You should have at least seen the ship, us. the power come back on the ship. Oh, you know what? It, they time traveled. They came back at the same point. So everyone's fine. What am I talking about? Yeah. See? He's not everyone's wrong. <laughs> He's not wrong about that. So really, he never had time to deploy the there solar was never sail. Time. They, they, never, they never completed the solar sail. So we no don't time. know if he's brave or not. That's right. They were in the middle of building it. Shit. <laughs> but the, that's By the, the way. Point. Oh, the... The power's back on, apparently. What <laughs> <laughs> kind of accent is that? It's a tennis accent. I don't know what that is all about. But it was interesting that VJ was like, you know, he, you know, the people kept casting him in uh, in well, the 80s for they? these roles. Why wouldn't he? Because he was a tennis player. He wasn't really an actor. So? But he acquits himself admirably in this film. He doesn't take you out of it. Well, uh, you he know, acquits himself captainly. Yes. Okay. That's <laughs> com Commodorely. But uh, he, um, uh, you know, um, unlike uh, in Star Trek Three, it's actually a credible performance as a captain. Sure. Yeah. Unlike that well, awful captain in Star Trek Three. That's one hundred and one. So that brings us to Rodmar Burnett and number one hundred. Haynock. Fortunately, Doctor, I know every thought of every mind around me. See. Take the hypo from him. And inject him with it. Fools. I'll simply transfer to another place. Another body. Well, let me tell you about this. You're probably wondering who Haynock is. Haynock. But what would you say if I told you Haynock was played by none other than Leonard Nimoy? I know you're uh -huh. asking yourselves, listening out there, going, wait, what? Well, of course, in the 20th episode of the second season of the original series, the episode Return to Tomorrow mm -hmm. uh, gives us three aliens, uh, Sargon, Thalesa, and the, let's call him, let's say he's an antagonist. Hey, knock. Yeah. And, no, um, hey, he, I, no, he's more, he's kind of villainous. He's beyond he, 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 Okay. He, you're isn't right. He's pronounced Hennock. 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 Like Enoch from Not the Hennock. From, well, it is, it is a play. The three stacks from the future. It is a play on Enoch and Hennock, whatever, from the Bible. Okay. Uh, um, but anyway, what <laughs> I love about this character is it is a tour de force. 
I mean, a lot of people always talk about William Shatner playing Janice Lester in Turnabout Intruder. But I would say that one of the great uh, ham it up, I'm having a good time, uh, Star Trek turns is Leonard Nimoy in this role, playing the villainous character from an ancient civilization that has been, they are now, they only exist in energy form uh, of a long dead or a long dead civilization that would like, they would like to be revived. They would like to live again. And they get to inhabit the bodies of our enterprise, some of our enterprise crew. And Hanok is in the body of Spock. And I have to say, even as a kid, I loved watching Leonard Nimoy vamp it up. Uh, he is having so much fun. I, I think he smiles too much in this episode because he just is enjoying because smiling. Can. Because yeah. he can. Yeah. And, and the way he plays around with the script and everybody, and he, he messes around with them. And it should be known that Diana Moldauer, uh, plays a role in this, uh, plays Thalesa. And, um, uh, it is, I, and of course, Kirk is, is Sargon. And, uh, Ann Mulhall is the name of the character that, uh, a doctor Ann Mulhall is. I have the name no of the character. fear. Sargon is here. And mm -hmm. I have to tell you, you know, <laughs> it, this is a, a classic Star Trek trope. When some of our principal characters are inhabited by aliens, this is something that is played throughout most Star Trek shows. Uh, and I think this is one of my favorites because uh, it's romantic. I mean, Sargon and Thalesa love one another and, and, and Hanok, Hanok, you know, uh, it's, it's just it's such like a Hebrew. It's a delicious turn. And I, I do, I mean, you don't get to see many characters that are as dastardly as Henoch is. And I, I love this character. Yeah, it's funny. I, I, I don't love this episode, but um, I love the Risk is Our Business speech. And I love that scene where they come in the sick bay and the receptacle with Spock has been destroyed. And there's like the musical sting. It's like, oh my God, Spock's brain is missing. Yeah, no, it's 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 got some, I mean, it's just an, I found that, I always found this episode really interesting. There's something about it. The voices, the way they do the, mm -hmm. the treatments of the voices of, of Sargon and Henoch and, uh, and, uh, Thalesa. And there's, there's just something. I mean, this is a bottle episode, even though there's a, there's a, they do beam down to an alien planet in the beginning. There is something about this episode that uh, from a science fictional standpoint, I, I always liked it. It always felt like they truly, they truly discovered something in this episode, and it led to, I thought, a very compelling they, episode of Star Trek. They absolutely discovered a lost race of table lamps. Yes. <laughs> yeah. To both but it works. It works. It I mean, those it, it works. the table lamps down and, here. And the, the fabulous here. scene after, uh, after Sargon had uh, done his magic and the two, the, the two remaining receptacles were destroyed is really shocking. It yeah, is shocking. it is. Well, he's very villainous. And that's what's so great because you see the range of Leonard Nimoy. Because, you know, everybody talks about Brent playing all these different roles in Next Gen. But, you know, <laughs> no Leonard about that. <laughs> in masks and lore <laughs> and whatever, B9, B12, whatever he is. And, <laughs> B12. and uh, you know, Hanok, you know, it's like Leonard, you look at this side of paradise, you look at Hanok and uh, this, you look at a muck time where he's, you know, it, it, he has such range, you know, for a role that's supposedly, you know, unemotional and, and one note, it, there's so much range to what Leonard 
does in all these episodes. So it's really great to see where he gets to break out of that character Spock and do something, which in this case, uh, you know, is is quite disturbing. In the, in the, in the, this, he, and he, you know, he he does definitely that what he does with the voice it presages his role as Paris in Mission Impossible <laughs> because he, he, you know, you know it's Leonard, but he's different and he's kind of like goes undercover as this evil guy. And uh, the premise of the consciousness is being in the in the in the Spencer Gifts receptacles is pretty cool. Yeah, love it. Stuff. Yeah, it's good stuff. Good, 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 good acting. So uh, that brings us number ninety nine, and uh, Next Generation uh, joins our list with the character of Cyrus Redblock. Remarkable. Is this a two way passage? Can one enter your world and return to this one simply by stepping through? Oh yes. Allow us to help, Mr. Whalen, and we will return with the item. <laughs> you really are a scamp, aren't you? Do you actually think I'd stay here you and wait? You are going to go through yourself, sir. That is not possible. One look at you, sir, is proof that anything is possible. Step aside, Mr. Hill. I'd shoot you myself. But I don't want to deprive my assistant of his greatest pleasure. <laughs> After we're gone, kill them all. Make sure the bodies are never found. You're insane. You think you can kill a cop and get away with it? Why not? I've done it before. Come on, Mr. Leach. Au revoir. You bon chance, mon ami. Our destiny awaits. Another world, a whole new world of plunder. What is this? What are they doing? They can't do this to me. Don't they know who I am? I'm Cyrus Redblock. Cyrus Redblock. Cyrus Redblock from the episode <laughs> The Big Goodbye. This was the Sydney Green Street inspired noir antagonist. Um, who in in the Dixon Hill story? He is uh, the the nemesis to uh, Dixon Hill. Um, it is a take on the Maltese Falcon and a lot of other great uh, like Philip Marlowe and Sam Spade and uh, type of um, storytelling. But it's played by a great noir actor, the wonderful uh, Lawrence Tierney. Lawrence Tierney in the nineties went through the sort of career resurgence thanks to Reservoir Dogs, mm -hmm. where he, he played the guy who put the robbery together in Quentin's movie. But of course, back in the uh, back in the noir era, he was the star of such movies as Born to Kill. Now, he is one of these classic uh, sort of man's men, and he was a big drinker. And one of my favorite stories is, uh, first of all, he was drunk most of the time when he was doing this episode. What? But <laughs> at one point, um, he, uh, he, he was, he was, he was pretty, pretty out of it and he's leaving the lot and, um, <laughs> they don't, they, they, you know, usually you have to give your, um, your pass, your, your lot pass back at the guard gate before they raise the, the fence and the arm and you could leave. He just drove right through it. He just and and then they almost lost him from the episode because they had to convince you know them that uh, you know he could finish the episode because they were like this guy just like ran through the guard gate at Paramount. Well, you you wouldn't want him to be a Cyrus Roadblock. 
But he really has a lot of fun with uh, Tracy uh, Torme's hard-boiled dialogue and um, uh, is such a great part of that episode. And it's a great homage to those sort of classic norm. But it's certainly in this case, it very much is Sidney Greenstreet in uh, The Maltese Falcon. But it's it's great. And he he's chewing the scenery and having a lot of fun. He's a sort of Peter Lorre uh, yeah. accomplice uh, uh, as well. And... Um, uh, it's it's a really fun episode. It's, it's certainly one of the highlights of the first season of Next Gen. And I also, course, he, oh, I, I'm sorry, he also played the Elaine Bennis's father on Seinfeld. Oh yes, he does. <laughs> who scared the hell <laughs> out of Jerry and George? But you know, I have to say, one of the things I really love about, I think, the big goodbye, obviously, is one of the highlights of of season one of TNG. But I do love the end of the episode where. Cyrus Redblock actually steps out of the holodeck and he's actually on the deck of the Enterprise. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he starts musing that there's a whole new universe out there. And and it's a great sort of a sci-fi moment. I mean, modern Star Trek, the Berman era of Star Trek, there was a lot of times when they played with these holograms that became sort of self-aware and, yeah. and sentient. And, and, and as he's disappearing, you know, as he's dissolving because the holodeck doesn't extend out that far um it's sort of sad and and bittersweet and melancholy watching him disappear into oblivion never to be seen again because that great realization he has it's you know <laughs> just when he thinks that the universe has gotten bigger for him yeah nope yeah it's kind of i like the 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 whole um uh, you know, sort of surreal quality of it, but at the same time, there are no hollow emitters in the hallway. It yeah, makes no that sense. Bother me too. That, well, that, no, that, you know, <laughs> there's projectors that clearly reach out from the inside of the holodeck that can go out into the. It was as long as it's line, line of sight, line of sight for the uh, sure. door, for the sure. arch. Well, it's yeah, too yeah. bad he isn't around to uh, guest star on it, the third season of Picard. Yeah. Because I'm, sure, um, I'm sure he would. It, it certainly was a very, you know, when when he has that moment, he steps out and he thinks, "Oh wow, I just think of all the possibilities," and he just is utterly destroyed. It may be one of the most nihilistic moments in the yes. history of Star Trek. Well, and it starts earlier than that <laughs> because it's that great moment where he's like, you know, uh, putting it all together, and he's like, "If I leave, I, I, you know, I can go beyond where we are." And Picard's like, "No, you can't." He's like, he tricks him into leaving the holodeck. You know, he's saying, "Oh, you can't leave." Well, then, of course, I will, right? right. And right. Uh, and then he like so it's Picard being pretty pretty smart, you know, or um, Gilligan's Island. And uh, and but but he he's uh, you know uh, he he's terrific uh, in in that episode. And I've always been a big fan of Lawrence Tierney, and it was great to see him and a pleasant surprise to see him in Star Trek and and a, and a fun fun character. And of course, although Cyrus Redblock never came back. Uh, Dixon Hill did uh, to to mixed results, obviously, because you look at something like Manhunt, which is just dreadful. Um, and, uh, you know, first contact where it's kind of pointless, but, you know, um, it's, 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 it's a shame because uh, it was actually a really great conceit. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that brings us <laughs> to number 98 and Ashley Edward Miller. Coming in at number... 98 is uh is a is a member of the original series cast who I think by rights you know really sort of deserved to have a a, a place with uh with the with the rest of the uh of what we consider the the regular cast of the original series as they went through the films but uh, but just didn't uh 
Um, nurse, then Dr. Christine Chapel. Yes, nurse. I brought the medical summary for the arrest report, Mr. Spock. Oh, sorry, sir. Are you injured, Miss Chapel? No. No, I, I'm, I'm fine. Are you uh, uh, feeling all right? Perfectly normal. I will append you a summary to the report. Was there something else, Miss Chapel? Wouldn't you like me to, um, well, well, stay, help you? That would be illogical, Miss Chapel. Yes. Yes. It'd be stupid. Uh, Dr. Chapel. Dr. Chapel. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, we actually, it's, it's funny. You know, she, uh, she, uh, we, we see her as late as Star Trek four, uh, sitting around in Starfleet headquarters, but she actually first shows up in the, uh, in the naked time. Um, you know, one of the, the big runners with her was, you know, kind of bringing out, you know, I, I think, uh, the, the emotions or at least, um, highlighting the emotionlessness of, uh, of Mr. Spock, because, right. you know, she kind of had Vulcan fever, as they say. Um, she had Johnny she, fever? Johnny fever. She actually had, like, a really interesting episode that kind of revolved around her that was written by uh, Robert Block, uh, What Are Little Girls Made Of. But um, it wasn't originally Christine Chapel in that episode. No, it was, uh, that was something that I believe that she saw that script and she she thought, oh wow, I could do this. Yeah. And then I think, hey, Gene, wouldn't it be a great idea if I, my character were this? What if I were her? <laughs> and I course, could do of this. Of course, it's a great idea. It's a great idea, Major. Yeah. <laughs> and so there she went. Um, but you know, she felt you know very prominent. It's funny. There's, I mean, we'll talk about some of these characters, but she was definitely on that list of um, of uh, of characters that I would have imagined would have had life. Uh, after the original series, and just for for whatever reason, didn't quite. Uh, well, I think we up. know why, because you know there was a lot of antipathy towards Gene among Hart Bennett and the new crew, that, and so they certainly weren't going to you know use his wife more than sparingly, you know. And there was no great hue and cry from the fans to include her. So you know, I you know there was. I think if she hadn't been married to Gene, there would have been a better chance of them using her more. Right. Than the fact that he she was you know his wife is the politics the politics yeah. um, it it should be noted that she is one of the characters that appears again uh, very recently on uh, on Strange New Worlds um, obviously not played by Major Barrett uh, but you know you can't I have, have to say that I really like Jess Bush on that show yeah um I just don't think she should have been Christine Chapel because yeah. there's She's nothing not in that portrayal that has in any way anything to do with the character that was established before but that said I think she's actually very good on that show yeah mm -hmm. I agree and I like the uh I like the costume I like the white uh, the white uh it, it's redolent of like a Bob Fletcher kind of costume uh, I, I particularly like uh, Majel's turn as Dr. Chapel in the motion picture um, because she apparently, when she steps on the bridge to treat Chekhov, she's never seen an injury before. Because her, <laughs> her reaction to it is, oh, it, you know, it isn't very consoling to Chekhov when the doctor is uh, <laughs> wincing at what she's seeing. So I just found it very interesting. 
But she has seen pneumatic micro pumps right here. Well, yeah, I, yes, absolutely. Uh, and uh, a, 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 a bunch of uh, little uh, uh, cells and magical sort of pumps and even eye moisture. I mean, Which, you, know, you know what that means. It means there are other moisture sources <laughs> from yes. Mr. Roddenberry. Oh, well, God. you know, it's so interesting because, of course, Chapel was not a character that initially had been conceived for the show. But, you know, after number one was written off the show, played right. by Major Barrett or Major, Major Lee oh, Huddock. Major Lee Huddick, right? Um, that, uh, he cr quickly created Christine Chapel to, uh, pacify his, uh, his mistress. But at the time they weren't married. At the time they were, uh, yes. Yeah. 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 And I, you know, I love when you read people talking. Well, we put her in a blonde wig, so the no one would know. The executives wouldn't recognize it. We thought about a mustache, but we thought maybe that was too far. So we would have never. We never realized that was the same actress that you tried to cast in the cage. Can you imagine, like, trying to get away with something like that? Just the sheer audacity of it. Well, yeah. as they when they you know the NBC executives are watching the episodes, they say, "Wait, <laughs> wait a minute! Ooh, that's that's his girlfriend again. <laughs> Why didn't we notice this?" <laughs> but you know, she was never in the show enough where it became an issue where they would be like, "You can't." But she was recurring. But you know, I, I I do remember. I think it was Ande who was talking about the fact that they cut Nichelle's salary right to give Christine yeah. to give Majel more money. Yeah, it's like a uh, boy. Yeah, <laughs> okay. So anyway, but but you know she's an interesting character, and um, um, and obviously her obsession with Spock was was you know fascinating to to, to steal a phrase, and um, in a way she was a surrogate for a lot of people in the audience. So. Now, I, I think it was Yvonne Craig who told the story oh, yes. uh, that that uh, she and Majel and other actresses were in this uh, this young actress hostel uh, in New York. And uh, so they knew each other from before. No, it was, then, it, was, it was in L.A. Oh, was it in L.A.? Okay. Yeah, it was right when they first moved out here. They right. were in a hostel, to, a, a female hostel yeah. together. Yeah, uh, and uh, years later, after uh, after the show was over, uh, she uh, saw her at a party again. Well, it was for the twentieth anniversary of Star Trek party. Was it the twentieth anniversary? Yeah, was it yeah. that late? Yeah, yeah, it was. Oh, I thought it this was. Is all, this is all from my book, so I, I I know the story well. Well, it wasn't all from your book, but yeah, uh, <laughs> and, and, it actually also would happened. You, would you like to continue the story? No, no, please continue. <laughs> I'm just I'm just clarifying for you. Yeah, for, you're like like butter, for you and your gallant crew. Butter. Um. And uh, so uh, she said, "Oh, uh, uh, Majel, it's it's so good to see you." And uh, and uh, Majel says, "Oh, hi." No, she uh, goes, "Majel Barrett, Ma yeah, so Ma good to see Majel you." Majel Barrett, so good to see you. And she said, "Thanks, but it's it's Majel Roddenberry now." Oh boy. <laughs> and yeah. so uh, it was. Uh, there was an extra air of. Uh, Superiority, let's say. But, you know, we have Majel to thank for all the great Star Trek merchandise and all the fact that all this stuff was saved because, of course, she needed to give her something to do since there wasn't a lot on the show. So he, <laughs> so created, he created Lincoln, Lincoln Enterprises Enterprise. for her. Not named after Roberta Lincoln or President Lincoln, as far as we know. Uh, but, uh, yeah, Lincoln His Enterprise car. was the, was the, uh, the, the swag arm of, uh, uh, 
Roddenberry's production. But that was why they saved all the stills and the outtakes and well, the scripts. Saved and or stole. The, it's one of the I other. Know, true enough. You don't know. <laughs> but the reason that this stuff still exists now, yep. whereas it doesn't exist for The Fugitive or yeah. for Gunsmoke or anything yeah. else, is because they were, you know, thinking, how do we sell this stuff? It was either that or write or more episodes. And I certainly wasn't going to do that. <laughs> well, speaking of more episodes, that brings us to 97. And Darren, who's our That's pick right. for number 97 on our list? Well, we have a character. Uh, many times, uh, characters, uh, multiple characters are played by the same actor uh, or actress. And um, what happens here is in the first season episode, Dagger of the Mind, we have a uh, a former... Uh, head of the Tantalus penal colony, uh, Dr. Simon Van Gelder. Where's the captain? Which one of you is the captain? I'm Captain Kirk. Van Gelder I want asylum At gunpoint I want your promise first Your word that you won't take me back there To Tantalus Disable your vessel first. You choose, Captain. I'll destroy your control panel. Take the sick bay. Reverse course. Head back for Tantalus Colony. Well, the the character with probably the worst constipation ever uh, on screen, um, he is uh, played by the wonderful Morgan Woodward, who of course was in many uh, western shows and uh, played uh, you know uh, unsavory characters. Well, this time he's he's sort of the hero in this, the uh, the uh, sort of pained hero uh, of Dagger of the Mind because he is the first victim. Of the uh, of the neural neutralizer, mm. uh, and uh, it made him crazy, uh, and uh, we don't know exactly why Tristan Adams uh, uh, caused this. Maybe he was jealous of them. We don't know, uh, but uh, it turned his brain into mush, and Oops. through great force of will and the help of a uh, a Vulcan mind probe. Uh, he's able to sort things out and be able to tell the crew of the dangers of uh, Dr. Adams and uh, his uh, chamber of horrors. And uh, what a great performance by Morgan Woodward, the first mm -hmm. Vulcan uh, mind touch that uh, happened. And uh, because 
Nimoy <laughs> show us was, on the doll where the Vulcan touched yeah, it. Show, <laughs> uh, show us on the action figure. Um, it's, there is no uh, action figure. Well, no, but there is of Spock. Anyway, uh, the yeah. the uh, the scene is great because they were just figuring this stuff out. There was originally a very long and, uh, according to uh, Nimoy, very tedious uh, uh, scene of lots of dialogue where they were trying to get the information out of him. And uh, he said, well, I, I wonder if uh, some kind of Vulcan trick could help us speed this up a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> and the Vulcan mind touch was born. Uh, it's not a full mind meld. That came later. Uh but, uh, of course, it was a dangerous thing because he's never tried it on a human. And uh, Spock could become disturbed as well from Van Gelder's tortured brain. So it's a great scene. Morgan Woodward is amazing with his bugged out eyes and, and crazy, crazy performance. Um, he's great. Unfortunately, we don't really... We don't really see him normal later on in the episode. That's something that I've always uh, regretted. Uh, we don't see him, you know, taking over the treatment of uh, Dr. Adams uh, the way he should have. But uh, I, I love it. And Morgan Woodward is great. And uh, perhaps his other character will show up later on in the list. It's also very appropriate for our holiday list, given that it is a Christmas episode. Yes, it is. That's right. Like, it made me want to go to Christmas different. parties as a little kid. I wonder Christmas what party. happens so there. So there is Christmas in Star Trek and Thanksgiving. Yeah. That's right. Indeed. Well, we know and terrible, Halloween. terrible things happen on Christmas. Families burn in a fire. <laughs> uh -huh. <laughs> Merry Christmas, everyone. Where's Tiny Tim? Dying fire. Picard's <laughs> roasting on an open fire. Oh, oh my boy. God. <laughs> oh, jeez. Oh, okay. Horrible. Well, that brings us to Ashley Miller and number 96. Ho, oh, oh, ho, oh. ho. Number 96 is, uh, I don't want to say this character is a guilty pleasure in any way, shape, or form. Um, but, uh, but, but this particular character is off the beaten track. Uh, for Star Trek in in many ways, although we, we spoke earlier about Lawrence Tierney and the uh, the sort of the, uh, the the tragedy of the holographic character and how those characters emerged uh, later in the Next Generation and, and later in other series, and um, this particular character is, I think, uh, one of the most successful. He is neither hero nor villain; he's just a guy, baby. Uh, he is uh, just a guy who hangs out in a casino and he understands human relationships. He knows a little thing about love and uh, he can really sing. Can you dig it? He's cool. Uh, Vic Fontaine. Great set tonight, Vic. Thanks. Lots of familiar faces in the crowd. Did I see Ram and Lita out there? They came for a while. What do you think about moving the crap tables over to the south wing and expanding the slot machines out into here? Good idea. I'll think it over. But we're supposed to meet with the architect tomorrow morning. Not anymore. It's time for you to go, kid. Go where? You know where. It's time to end the program. <laughs> but we've got work to do. We have a casino to build. No, we don't. This is just a fantasy. It's not real. It's real to me, and it's real to you. And don't say it isn't. I know better. You're right. It's very real to me. But I'm a hologram, Nog. I'm not a person. 
Till you came along, I'd never been on for more than six or seven hours straight. I know. And now you're running all the time. Isn't it great? It's incredible. Since you've been here, I've slept in a bed every night, gone to work every day, had time to read the paper, play cards with the boys. I've had a life. And I have to tell you, it's a precious thing. I had no idea how much it means to just live. And now I'm going to return the favor and give you your life back. Um, Vic Fontaine uh, was created for an episode called His Way on Deep Space Nine. And, um, you know, his entire function in that episode is to be kind of a, a, a love guru for Odo, who has decided he's got a thing uh, for Kira. Right. And, um, you know, it's a it, it's in the context of that episode, it's a little bit thankless. But as the character and as the show's fascination with Vegas evolves, um, he just kind of becomes more delightful in his own way with every outing. You can tell that James Darren, who plays him, is having just a a terrific time with it. Um, I personally love the way that the Rat Pack music comes into it. And I think ultimately the, the reason why this character works, um, other than the fact that, that, that Darren is not Darren, Darren, but our Darren, but you know, James Darren is, is completely committed to it and completely into it, um, is that it's obviously something that, and if you know Ira, you know, this is true, um, that is near and dear to, to, uh, showrunner Ira Bear's heart. Um, and something that he was deeply passionate about, as passionate as he was about everything else on Deep Space Nine. So it was just a great, um, entertaining blend. Um, it was uh, very unique to Deep Space Nine. Um, it's something that I think in, in lesser hands or more cynical hands uh, probably would not have worked. Um, I, I think that, that, you know, if this was something that he had to pitch to anybody who is not afraid of him, they probably would have said no. <laughs> uh, but since everybody was afraid of Ira, <laughs> just said yes and let him do it. You um, know what the problem with this character was? Hmm. It made the character of Troy and the therapist superfluous because uh, yeah. uh, Vic, Vic Fontaine did a better job as a counselor than any uh, counselor on any of the shows. Any of the That's therapists. true, including Esri Dax, who yeah. shows up to be a counselor later. It's like this guy, it's like, who who are you going to go to? Are you going to go to Troy? Are you going to go to Esri Dax? No, you're going to go to Vic Fontaine. And that mofo is going to sing a song and it's going to be awesome. And he's going to spot you some chips. He's going <laughs> to set you up at a table. And you're right? not going to get hit by a scooter. You're not going to get hit by a scooter unless you pay extra. Well, unless like Nog is in a... Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. That's the worst <laughs> possible version of that episode. <laughs> Nog gets hit by a scooter on the holodeck. <laughs> well, look, and, and, and that's, you know, that's the thing. I, I uh, you know, I thought, oh, Ira Bear is indulging his love of the Rat Pack, and this isn't going to be very good. And obviously, it turns out to be something really special in the hands of that wonderful sluggers row of writers because you get episodes like it's only a paper moon yeah. after uh, Nog is uh, wounded and loses a leg in, um, and has to, you know, and he goes into the hollow deck or the hollow suite 
to escape reality. And, you know, uh, Vic Fontaine, played by Jimmy Darren, is so terrific in that episode. And it's a really moving, wonderful episode. And, you know, so many people who, who've actually dealt with PTSD talk about how, how that episode perfectly captures the feelings that they were having. And, uh, you know, it's, it's really impressive. Um, what they ended up doing with this character it was a character that really sneaks up on you. My well, mind canon has him related to Johnny Fontaine from The Godfather. That <laughs> <laughs> um, either either they he's were, never going to get that part. <laughs> that's right. Either they were brothers, or they were uh, you know he was a, an uncle or something. It's but, between uh, the I, brothers, Kay. I like to I like to think that there's a direct connection between Don Vito and Quark. And that next season on the offer. That's right. Yeah. Wow, that's great, boy. That talk about some uh, some great fan fiction there. Yeah, that that I like the retconning. That that's really and it's really all cool. Paramount, so it's all good. <laughs> so you could do it. <laughs> you, you could do it. Then Cisco wakes up with a horse's head in his bed. Well, that's stranger <laughs> things have happened. <laughs> uh, Rob, are you a fan of the uh, the the Vic Fontaine? Character? I am. I I you know I like the Vic Fontaine episodes, and I really do think the way they used Vic to sort of help Nog. Uh, you know, one of the great, when they dealt, a lot of the time, Star Trek characters didn't change, but Rom, Rom was, um, or probably Nog was severely injured in the Dominion War and sort of it disappeared into, into Vegas, you know, into, into his fantasy realm. And it was Vic Fontaine that was there to sort of nursemaid him through his difficulties. And I, I really liked that. I mean, I thought, again, the use of these holographic characters, um, in Star Trek became something uh, of a trope in a way. And they had, I mean, it all went all the way. They, they they kept evolving the holographic characters in Voyager. They evolved them even further. And of uh, it, I, I really liked Vic Fontaine. I really liked the whole, that whole milieu. And I, I liked him as a character and I love the performance. Yeah. You know what's great. interesting about that? Um, just the use of the holodeck in that way. And the, the specificity of, of using Vegas is that it, it takes kind of a, a hollow deck trope, right? Which is that, um, characters use it to work through whatever freaking issue they've got one way or the other. But it's always something that's fantastical, right? It's something that's not grounded. Mm. Um, and it's almost a, it's, it's, it's almost too many steps removed from anything that's involving like a, a real human emotion or an addiction. But the second that you're walking into Vegas and that, you know, Nog is losing himself in that world, it's something that we can all understand and is much closer, uh, to uh, a metaphor for the way that people will lose themselves, you know, to, to drugs, to alcohol, to gambling, to whatever. And yeah. I think. You know, having having you know worked with with Ira, it's something that kind of came up. Even we were working on the Twilight Zone. There was an episode that was um, kind of all about Vegas and gambling and all these things. And it's again, it's the, you know he's coming by it honestly in this storytelling. And I think that's one of the reasons why um, you know it's only a paper moon feels so real and why Vic is so effective in that episode because I think Ira is channeling something that you know we can we can all emotionally touch. Yeah. You know, yeah, speaking no. of that, speaking of the holodeck in, in something upcoming in Star Trek that has yet to air, they, there's something <laughs> the about... The holodeck Avengers? No, no, no. There's something about oh. the holodeck, a canonical use of the holodeck that had never been touched on before that I thought was genius. 
and you'll you'll see what that is, but it falls along the lines of, of something that you were just saying. Well, I, I would be so sure because by the time this episode is over, uh, is Picard could have aired. We, we have Picard season four. <laughs> uh, no, but I'm just saying. I I thought that that there there was nothing more to be said about the holodeck, but there is, and uh, really interesting. Really okay, interesting. well, we're gonna stay on board Deep Space Nine for number ninety five. Number 95, Mark, just like uh, Darren had said, it's always interesting when actors come back to play multiple roles in Star Trek. Obviously, William Campbell played Trelane and also played uh, Koloff in uh, Trouble with Tribbles. Here's another instance of that, bringing back an actress that we first saw in the sixth season of The Next Generation. Uh, in an episode I've always loved, you've always wondered, well, why are there so many humanoid-looking aliens in the, the Star Trek universe? Well, this actress, Salome Jens, played... The ancient humanoid in an episode called The Chase. And they they brought her back to become the face, as it were, the chief antagonist. Well, of, face. I don't know. I know. The leader, she was uh, appointed by the Great Link. I guess it was appointed by the Great Link to lead the Dominion charge against the Alpha Quadrant. I'm, of course, referring to Salome Jens as the female changeling from Deep Space Nine. I've come for Odo. Can you help him? Only the Great Link can help him. Leave him with me, and you may return home unharmed. I can't do that. A founder has given you an order. You will obey it. I'll let you know when I need you. I understand your concern for Odo. I feel it too. Then let's not stand here and argue. Just tell us where we need to take him. The faster we get moving, the better off he'll be. Your loyalty to Odo is commendable. I will not stop you from accompanying him on the rest of his journey. However, I am sure you understand my reluctance to reveal the location of our new home. Commander, I must ask you to surrender the helm. A Matagan will guide your ship for the remainder of the voyage. Captain? My terms are not open to negotiation. Commander, give him your seat. This will prevent your navigational computers from retaining any record of our journey. Sir, not now, Mr. Worf. There, that's better. Now, Captain. It's not too much trouble. I would like to pay Odo a visit. And she was in 14 episodes of, uh, of Deep Space Nine, beginning in The Search Part 1, which was the episode that immediately follows the Jem'Hadar with the shocking ending of a galaxy-class starship destroyed by a kamikaze attack from the shock troopers of the Dominion. And, of course, Deep Space Nine had teased the Dominion, and we didn't really know much about them and the the ending of of the search and and of search part one and two uh pretty shocking we were off to the races and of course Salome Jens came back and led the war effort on the side of the Dominion and I had been a fan of hers it was really funny because I didn't make the connection when I first saw Next Generation but Salome Jens was Rock Hudson's love interest in John Frankenheimer's 
uh, movie Seconds yeah. in the 60s that I that I really loved. And I, I loved her performance in that. She had sort of this ethereal quality. Mm-hmm. And her line delivery, I loved the way she portrayed this character who was... She was not really grounded, like she she was disdainful of any of the solids, you know, in the way, but she kind of it wasn't a monotone that she spoke in, but it was this sort of very quiet, direct way of speaking that had a sweetness to it, but also you knew she would cut your throat if she needed she to. She was basically like a kindergarten teacher who'd been doing it for 30 years. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, I mean, and, and I look. I thought she was ter- uh, terrifying. And what was really interesting is they used her in a very smart way. Rather than having to see a chancellor addressing thousands of people, it's in some square. She was just one person, yeah. and and she was she. It was a very from a production standpoint, it was a really smart way to have one character represent an entire an entire race, you know, the great length that the, and she had some great interaction with Odo trying to get him to come back to the great length and, or great link. And I I loved all of her appearances. And then they showed you what Starfleet was going to do to all of the, the changelings by infecting her. And of course, Odo had this disease They're they're there. They were going to commit genocide, you know, against, against the changelings. And you really saw it with her, they put her through the ringer, and I thought it was a great use of, I mean, there was a lot of great things about Deep Space Nine's latter seasons, but she was definitely one of the highlights for me. And uh, again, a recurring character, 14 episodes of the show from season three through season seven. I don't, I don't think she was in one of the seasons she wasn't in. I think it was season five of Deep Space Nine she doesn't appear in, but um, she's just terrific, and I, I really loved her. She defines one of my, I mean, everyone talks about Gul Dukat, but I think that Salome Jens as the female changeling is one of Star Trek's great adversaries. And well, uh, I love her. You know, there you see the banality of evil. You know, Dukat is the Gestapo, right? You know, right. And, uh, you know, but, but, you know, with Salome Jens, like you said, she's very ethereal. You know, what's so great is you think about her in seconds is Rock Hudson's love interest. And it's just like, uh, it's amazing, you know, it, 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 and 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 that makeup is terrific. That uh, it really Michael is more does, and um, it, it's very effective. And of course, I'd much rather see an action figure of her, the Gem Hadar, than Chakotay or Tuvok. But uh, <laughs> we'll get you know, not to get back to that again. But it's like, come on, um, it's like enough with the principal characters. Do well, like the interesting characters. If you did the sculpt of Odo, you'd already have her. So. <laughs> <laughs> but um but but she's ter- she's terrific in the show and uh you know the the whole uh, you know uh, antagonist at the um the world of the Jem'Hadar and uh, uh and and the, the changelings and the great it's very it's great stuff that they came up with on Deep Space 9 and Salome Jens just does a terrific job she has just ha- because you know she you know who she reminds me of a little bit Mere Furlon on like Babylon yes. Five yes. or in Lost, and and it's great because you know they are um, they they use the fact that you know there's just something really off and different about them mm-hmm. that makes them feel alien, and it really really works. It's not like they went to somebody from Central Casting, right? Yeah, no, she's amazing, and it's yeah. another reason why Deep Space Nine is is such a special show. Yeah, absolutely. 
So number 94, we're back in the next generation, back in the 24th century. And uh, it is Robert Picard. You have been terribly hard on yourself. You don't know, Robert. You don't know. They took everything I was. They used me to kill and to destroy, and I couldn't stop them. I shouldn't have been able to stop them. I tried. I tried so hard. I wasn't strong enough. I wasn't good enough. I should have been able to stop them. I shouldn't. I shouldn't. So... My brother is a human being after all. This is going to be with you a long time, Jean-Luc. A long time. You have to learn to live with it. You have a simple choice now. Live with it below the sea with Louis. Or above the clouds with the Enterprise. After all, I think I didn't come back so that you could help me. Yeah. You know what? I still don't like you, Jean-Luc. <laughs> Robert Picard, the brother oh. of Jean-Luc Picard, um, played by the late, great Jeremy Kemp. Yeah. Who Rob and I loved in the Winds of War, as he often did playing a Nazi. Yes. And uh, he was a, a bit of a Nazi in family, uh, only to reveal the soft underbelly of his hard candy shell when and how we find out. He is. Well, what's so that even now you look at family and it was so off concept and it, to deal with the repercussions of Picard being abducted by um the borg and 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 basically it's a it's it's a rape allegory i mean it's, it's like him he's not willing to process what he's gone through he's trying to ignore he's trying and it just manifests itself until he finally has to you know confront it and that and that's what's so weird about later on first contact and yeah Picard and all this stuff because this he is had, the episode he where he, past it's it, cathartic. Yeah. He had gotten he gotten past it, but then they keep going back to it. But uh, a family is such a such a uh, a top drawer episode of uh, Next Gen, and Jeremy Kemp is really good because you think that you know Picard is uptight and has a stick up his ass. Well, they got nothing on Robert Robert yeah. Picard. Uh, maybe it's because their mother hung themselves. <sighs> oh my god! Uh, you know, but um, but uh, yeah. it's yeah. Yeah, I, I just his family really paved the way for the great all good things, uh, even though Robert Picard is not in that. Um, but, you know, we established this whole backstory for the Picard family, uh, which is destroyed in a fire in oh, generations, man. which is just so awful. Yeah, um, it's, it's the worst, dude. But, yeah, but what an interesting character and that whole mud fight they have and just the way he treats um, old Picard man mud so wrestling disdainfully is so because. Hot. 
he didn't. It was the women in love. It was like Oliver Reed, and but he didn't. He didn't. <laughs> he, Picard didn't stay with the, uh, the the vineyard. That he went off into space, and Robert, Robert resented him for that. You know, leaving him with the parents because I guess in this version the mother was still alive. Um, <laughs> because <laughs> and uh, just so uh, such an interesting, um, such an interesting familial dynamic, and it didn't break Star Trek. It didn't break the rules of Star Trek. Right. You know, it's like because Robert loved his brother, you know, and, and he just felt like he had to stay behind. And, you know, Picard pursued his dream, which in a way, you know, that's Star Trek. It's not like they all died in the fire, which is right. like Star Trek. So um, really great performance. I think a great character that you never thought you would see something like that yeah. in, in Star Trek. And, and he um, married well. And he married well. He was married to Samantha Egger from The Brood. How oh, yeah. how about that? And, and and she was a delightful. What a woman she was too. She you know, she was and she put up with a lot with this guy. Yeah, like like all of these these characters. Um, you know, Robert Picard, particularly as as played by Jeremy Kemp, uh, has has layers, right? Like the the great thing about that fight in the mud is not that they're fighting in the mud. Um. And the great thing about the character is not that he's a angry prick. The great thing about that character is that he is who he is. Um, and he does love his brother. Mm -hmm. And it's not a thing that these guys can say. But when the fight ends, right, the emotional climax of that episode is not the fight. The emotional climax is the end of the fight. When uh, Robert says, you have been so very hard on yourself. Mm -hmm. And you go, oh, it just crushes you. Because you you immediately believe everything about the relationship as brothers. Look, it's, it is a truism in a writer's room that the second that you're bringing in goddamn relatives, man, like you are reaching for something that doesn't <laughs> work. And if you don't believe yeah. me, I give you Will Riker's dad. Okay, this fight is all we have left. <laughs> no, it's, it's fight and jujitsu, exactly, <laughs> and dressing up in these weird things. But like, but in that moment, I mean, him saying that said, like, I know you, and I love you, and I care about what's happening to you, even though I am also angry at you. Yeah, mm -hmm. and that is just uh, pulling off something like that. It's just it's beautiful writing. Um, it is just a, a beautiful performance. It's a great relationship. And that character deserved so much better. <laughs> to die in a fire? Yeah. To yeah. die in a fire. To die in a fire. Yeah. You're so very gentle. And it's amazing because I would have hoped that Ron would have been more protective of this wonderful character he created. No joke. You know, because Ron wrote a beautiful episode with family. Yep. And, uh, and then, you know, in generations, they sort of like... Screw it. Well, it's like, you know what? Burn it it's the same thing. It's no different than like Picard finding the goddamn whatever it was that they were like going after in the chase. Right. He the just Kurlan tosses Neskar. it over his. his yeah, the Kurlan Neskar. Oh, screw it. It's the most valuable archaeological find in the history of the galaxy. Now it's garbage. It comes garbage. back, though. It comes Doesn't back. Matter. And now okay. I'll flush the goldfish down the toilet because That's I don't right. care about this. <laughs> <laughs> I call my goldfish Will. Okay. Bye, okay. Livingston. 
Well, and uh, we're going to slingshot around the sun and back to the original series with number 93. Darren, tell us who number 93 on our list is. Number 93 takes place on the doomed planet of Sarpedon <laughs> from the third season episode, All Our Yesterdays. And uh, yet again, we have a character who was played by someone who had been on the show before in a completely different character. Uh, this time, he plays the librarian, Mr. Atos. I am the librarian. May I be of assistance? Perhaps you can, Mr. Mr. Atos. I confess that I'm a little surprised to see you. I had thought that everyone had long since gone. But the surprise is a pleasant one. After all, a library serves no purpose unless someone is using it. You say everyone has gone, where'd they go? It depended on the individual, of course. If you wish to trace a specific person, I'm sorry, but that information is confidential. No, no particular person, just people in general. Where did they go? Ah, you find it difficult to choose, is that it? Yes, a wide range of alternatives is a mixed blessing, but perhaps I can help. Would you step this way, please? Yes, Mr. The great Ian Wolfe. to Z. Ian Wolfe, uh, who is... Uh, who is great in anything. I mean, you know, he's, he's one of these character actors who has been around forever and he knows what he's doing. And, uh, you know, from the first moment, he is in charge and uh, he's got his Atavacron there and he better process you or you're going to be in trouble. Uh, I, I, I love Mr. Atos. Just how many of there are you? Uh, it, and each a, one was a little different. Each yes. one was a little he, he different. Play, he played many yeah. different versions of Mr. Atos. He's a brilliant There are actor. many copies, and he has a plan. <laughs> he has a plan. <laughs> but, uh, but only only one dressing gown, apparently. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, he's easy. He's great. Uh, it's not a great episode, but he he's great. The conceit of the episode is great. Um, well, it's not a he, bad episode. It's it, he, it yeah. has many, many interesting things. They just sort of don't go together. It's he's the a penultimate pretty, episode of the original series. That's correct. He's a pretty cool librarian. Sure. Yeah. He's got and he just problem. cares. He just wants to make sure you you get where you're going. Yeah. I, you I, know, I've always wanted one of those uh, disc players. Uh, me too. Well, let me ask you an episode. Let me ask you an episode. Let me, let me let ask me you guys. <laughs> let me, I'm going to ask you a question. So, Mr. Atas, he has... All the episodes of Star Trek right. on Sarah Peden. You, the, the the world is about to be destroyed. You could jump into any episode of Star Trek. Which episode would you each pick? Uh, now, remember, yesterday's Enterprise may be a great episode, but I don't think you yeah, really you want to be. Live yeah, you won't live long, fortunately. Oh, I know so, exactly which one I think. I, I okay. think I would go to Shoreleaves. Mm. Because I'm uh, going to Captain's you... Holiday. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm going to Space Seed. Because they would revive me and I would get to live in the 23rd century. You, okay. your, your sleeping chamber would malfunction. Ron. No, not my, no. <laughs> yeah, you, I was not like, part of uh, it. You'd be like, uh, what was your name? I could do those weird stretching exercises. <laughs> what we got out didn't live long, fortunately. You'd be, you'd be like Stuart. That's right. And now <laughs> you're, changing, you're changing the terms, man. There's the Robert terms. Meyer Burnett. He was to be the new Adam. <laughs> well, well, fuck it. <laughs> okay, well, that brings us to number 92 and Ashley Edward Miller. Coming in at number 92, 
It's a character who features prominently in Scott Mance's favorite episode of Star Trek. <laughs> Metamorphosis. Originally portrayed by actor Glenn Corbett. Yes. Yeah, that's a little bit. It would. Bit um, and thing. later returning in the movie series uh, in what I think is, and look, it's not tough, but uh, unquestionably the best of the next generation films, uh, Star Trek First Contact. Uh, Zephram Cochran. Do they have to keep doing that? It's just a little hero worship, Doc. Tell you the truth, I can't say I blame them. We all grew up hearing about what you did here or what you're about to do. You know, I probably shouldn't even tell you this, but I went to Zephram Cochran High School. Really? You know, I wish I had a picture of this. What? Well, you see, in the future, this whole area becomes an historical monument. You're standing almost on the exact spot where your statue's gonna be. Statue? Oh, yeah. It's marble, about 20 meters tall, and you're looking up at the sky, and your hands sort of reaching toward the future. I gotta take a leak. Leak? I'm not detecting any leak. Don't you people from the 24th century ever pee? Oh, leak. I get it. <laughs> That's pretty funny. The inventor of the warp drive. Um, and look, it's Actually, funny. Technically, discoverer of the space warp. Okay. Yes. Yes. He's the discoverer of the space warp. Um, and also a fan of Magic Carpet Ride, which I think is ridiculously important. <laughs> He's a big Steppenwolf fan, yeah. 100%. And who's not? And Roy Orbison. Um, yeah. You know, what What I like, uh, uh, what I, you know, kind of find interesting about this character, you know, and I try to, look, I, I, I try to reconcile it in my head, right? Because what you have to remember is that on the timeline, first contact comes first. And then metamorphosis happens. Right. Even though in the series, metamorphosis comes first and then there's first contact. So clearly, uh, Zephyr Cochran, you know, when he was discovering the space warp and uh, he was breaking the warp barrier and all that cool stuff happened, he was kind of rock and roll, man. He wore a beanie. He wore a questionable jacket. You could say he was a little bit country. He was a little bit rock and roll. He was both of those things. He was from the East Village, man. He hung out with Alfre Woodard, and that's cool, you know, because she's always looking out for your little ships. And huh? he was a drunk. And he was a drunk. And, like, something happens, okay? Like, he also, he's a little bit older. Something happens. Mm -hmm. So he goes through space at warp speed, like, gets lost, crashes, finds a companion, now, if you think about this, if you try to reconcile... Well, he also moved to Alpha Centauri at some point. Corbett, like, the right. companion made him look like Glenn Corbett. Well, yeah, she made him what? younger. Star Midway. Right. It's like, I, you know what? He should be handsome. You know, and a little stiff. But he should be... He's the discount Gary Lockwood. Yeah. Yeah, he totally is. Okay, now, I, mean, I have a question for you guys. Yeah? Brandon and Ron deny it. That the character of Zephyr Cochran in First Contact is based on Gene Roddenberry. Of course it is. Of course yeah. it is. Mm -hmm. 
Whether they know uh, it or not, he's absolutely it. yeah, it's absolutely Green Roddenberry. Yeah, I mean, because especially that scene with the hot tub. Green Roddenberry. And um, he's got wait, wait. Did they cut the scene with the hot tub, or is they it still in the movie? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, Marina said no, no hot tub. He's fun, I, you know, but I think he's he's I think he's a much better character in First Contact than he is in Metamorphosis. I think the idea of Metamorphosis is incredibly effective and powerful, and that that episode works because of how our heroes uh, interact with uh, with Cochrane and the. But I, I think the only reason that Cochrane is better in First Contact is that Glenn Corbett is extremely boring. Yes, exactly, exactly. Don't tell Scott Mance that. Yeah, I'll but, tell him. Uh, I'll tell him right to his face. Glenn Corbett is boring. It, look, if if somebody is going to invent the warp drive, if they're going to discover the space warp, I want them to be awesome, drink too much, and listen to rock and roll. And uh, and that's what does. Uh, I can give us. or take a few of those things, but uh, boy, I got to tell you, I mean, some of the musical choices, whether it be in First Contact, you have um, Steppenwolf. And Roy Orbison, and Roy Orbison's mm-hmm. cool, but I'm not going to knock Roy Orbison. But still, but then you got Pat Benatar, who I love, but I don't know what she's doing in Picard. Um, then you have uh, the Beastie Wycliffe Boys, Jean, the Beastie Boys. I mean, it's like what the what? Yeah, this is the, the stuff Pat that's going to be around in the 24th century. Well, why not? Not good. No, not, I always thought good. it was a uh, you know it, it was a. Why didn't they ever use the future as an opportunity to make weird futuristic music? You know why? Because then it's Buck Rogers. But they have something interesting. It's like when somebody pitches like, and in this episode, what they have is a band who comes up with the greatest song of all time. (laughs) But I mean, are you going to write it? Or is it like just a tribute? No, well, they did in Space Rockers, the episode of Buck Rogers, where oh, yeah. Jerry Orbach puts Andromeda on the circuit, and they write the greatest music of all time, and it converts the young kids of uh, of the cosmos to, uh, to, to you know... Just like the... Actually, actually, you're for, the you're forgetting the great girl group that their number one hit, it's Love, Love, Love. Oh, yeah, well, and, and Battlestar Galactica. And who can forget Josie and the Pussycats in Outer Space? In outer there space. you go. Yeah, by the way, that kind of worked. <laughs> Well, I look forward to your reboot of it. Maybe VJ Armitage could be in that too. Hell yeah, he can. He's Hopefully, gonna we will get sale in many, many stage appearances. <laughs> <laughs> the the roadies are attempting to construct a solar sail. If successful, <clears throat> we will have many bookings. Rob, where, where, where are you on the Zephram Cochran of it all? Look, I mean, I... I I did not like the portrayal of Zephram Cochran in First Contact. He's fun. He's very much a Hollywood movie character. I kind of like the buttoned up Glenn Corbett of it all um, from Metamorphosis. I always liked Metamorphosis because, you know, a man who discovered the space warp had to be sort of a buttoned up yeah. slide rule guy. A nerd. And yeah, he was a nerd. And and the idea that he'd been made love to by a, a non-corporeal energy creatures, it, was, it eluded him. Like any nerd <laughs> wouldn't get it, you know, and, and, and I, I, uh, I, I always look a metamorphosis. I don't love it as much as Scott Mance does, but it's one of the best uses of the stage to create mm-hmm. a, 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 an alien planet. I mean, yeah, a distant yeah. shot of the shuttlecraft. I mean, it was so cool when you first see it, you know, and, and there's so much about metamorphosis I like, but I always liked Glenn Corbett's performance because he's kind of clueless. Yeah. And and yet he's survived all of this time and he clearly he knows 
What's really interesting is he knows the world that he's stuck on like a scientist would know it. Yeah. There's mm. no wonder in him. And and I was like that about that performance. I mean, it, it, it was he was so matter-of-fact about everything. Like when this creature shows up and he's explaining what's going on and it's it's like I remember as a kid watching this going, this is amazing. You know, the companion shows up on me. I want I want to be there. I want the companion to insert encircle me and I want to experience what does it feel like, you know? And and I'm like, this guy, I, I always love that. I mean, in terms of wish fulfillment, I I thought the companion was one of TOS's great alien creations. And it truly was something science fiction-y and and I loved it. Rob, it feels like being dipped in marshmallow fluff. Marshmallow. I thought you were going to say joy. What, well, no, <laughs> that's what the that's what the companion feels like. Just well, so you know, it's it's interesting because um, you know uh, uh, James Jimmy uh, James Jimmy Cromwell yes. is uh, more like uh, William Shatner getting off of Blue Origin than uh, um, Glenn Corbett, who is like the guy who built the Blue Origin, right? Right. You know, so he's like I I definitely think that he feels more Glenn Corbett feels like more like a guy who could have broken. The, 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 um, you know, see, I warp, don't warp know that speed. I agree with that assessment because I think that there's a certain, um, uh, it's, I don't want to say that it's a cliche, but I do say, I would say that it's expected, right? It's like you look at somebody like Richard Feynman, like that dude was a lunatic. Yeah. Like he was angry. He loved life. He loved fucking, he loved, like, he played the drums. Like he was a madman. It's like if, if you're going to have a character, that you want like on a show or in a movie, right? It's like, do you want like the guy who's like really buttoned down to be your scientist or do you want Feynman? No, look, and if you're going to carry a movie, you want a you know, great actor like James Cromwell and somebody who's larger than life. And I, I mean, yeah, if you put Glenn Corbett in that movie, it was <laughs> like, no, it wouldn't have worked. already got him. Plus oh, living in, a, in the post-atomic, <laughs> you know, the, the aftermath of World War III in Montana, there's not a whole lot to do there. Other than working on your rocket, you know. You know, it's like, you know, what are you going to have? Steve Rails back is, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> is Zephram Cochran. It's not going to work. You know what? No. Steve Rails back would have made a great Zephram Cochran. If you're, if you're going <laughs> if you're for, the Glenn, Glenn Corbin, for the Glenn yeah. Corbett route, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe you plant a fig tree. <laughs> Maybe he'll plant a fig tree. Okay. So that brings us to number 91. And uh, we're back on the on the we're rocketing to TOS with Robert Meyer Burnett. Okay, I'm going to make an admission here. When I was in uh, junior high school, I saw a girl. I was on the ninth grade; she was in the seventh grade. Oh. I fell in love with her because of this next character because she looked just like her. Mm. Now, Star Trek has leaned into Shakespeare from the very beginning, and uh, it, it, when 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 Star Trek in its first season, it's never leaned into Shakespeare more than in Conscience of the King. And uh, uh, it's to stagings of Hamlet, to, to, to the lessons contained in Shakespeare's stories, this next character was, was one of, after Nichelle Nichols, might have been my first great Star Trek love. Mainly because she's insanely beautiful, she wears great outfits, six different outfits in the, in the show, and she turns out to be absolutely bonkers insane. <laughs> and I loved her for it. And I'm speaking, of course, of Lenore Caridian. Starlight, star bright. I wish I may, I wish I might. Do you remember that, Captain? It's very old. Almost as old as the stars themselves. And 
the ship. All this power surging and throbbing, yet under control. Are you like that, Captain? All this power at your command. Yet the decisions that you have to make come from a very human source. Are you, Captain? Tell me about the women in your world, Captain. I'd rather talk about you. You must have wanted to perform since the first time you saw your father act. When was that? In the beginning. Tell me about it. That's not fair. You haven't answered my question about the women. What would you like to know? Has the machine changed them? Made them just people instead of women? Worlds may change, galaxies disintegrate, but a woman always remains a woman. All this and power too. Caesar of the stars, to Cleopatra, to worship him. Uh, the Anton, original my crazy ex-girlfriend. Oh my God, Barbara Anderson played her, and what was this was a a fascinating. When I was a kid, I didn't love this episode, but as I've gotten older, I really love this episode. And of course, uh, it deals with Kirk's past yeah. on Tarsus Four, a, a failed Federation colony, and in this colony, nothing more tragic. Yeah, the the governor of Tarsus Four had an impossible. He, he he! Because of a famine, he only he had was, enough he food. He was Thanos. Well, yeah, he was that. He, the original Thanos. The original <laughs> Thanos. In order to save the colony, he had to get rid of half the colony so the other half could survive. And of course, he did that, and he became known as Kodos, the governor. It Kodos was a became, bad call, Ripley. A yeah. bad call. <laughs> Kodos, the executioner. Kirk was there with with a young Kevin Riley. They were on this this planet, and in the episode, of course. Uh, Kirk goes to visit a friend of his. They're, they're, they're on this planet and this company of players, uh, led by an actor named Anton Caridian and his daughter Lenore, um, need a ride, you know, and, and, uh, I won't get into the plot of the episode, but let's just say Lenore Caridian, no one is more captivated, not just the audiences, but Captain James T. Kirk by the throbbing it, of the engines. The throbbing, <laughs> yes, and Lenore Caridian certainly made his engines throb. And I mean, one of the things about this episode is I I love that you see a set, you see a place on the Enterprise you only ever see in this episode. That's right. And it, it was the observation deck that overlooked the hangar bay, and then it, it, you could look outside to the stars. And I, I, I in, when I was growing up, I'm like, man, I wish I had an observation deck to take to take chicks. But didn't you to. love the fact that they explained the whole day and night on the Enterprise? Yeah. Oh, it's, it's, it's all, all of it. No, it was great. It, it was great. But what what's really interesting is when you find out about. Lenore Caridian's father and and how monstrous what he did actually was. You find out that this daughter was really just protecting her father. I mean, it's yeah. really it's really a, a woman that that grows grew up loving her father and, and she wasn't there when this yeah. happened and she didn't you know but but she knew she knew what he'd done she knew how he was perceived but the love of a daughter uh of everything else is is secondary to that and she would do anything to protect her father and it turns out even including also, turning the enterprise into a floating tube yeah i mean <laughs> <laughs> but she was she was an around the bend bonkers 
woman. She was cuckoo and, for Cocoa Puffs. And it, it's really interesting because now when you talk to people of today, they often cite this episode as being incredibly misogynistic because of, of this portrayal of this around the bend. And I would say, you know, it, 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 she's not, she's not crazy because she's a woman. It could have been a son in her yeah. position. She's crazy because the love of protecting her father. And it, it's almost like call, it's a person who wants to do the right thing, but at the same time, is driven crazy by it. I totally agree, because if I was responsible for destroying half a colony, I would want my kids to kill everybody who could prove that I did it. Well, so I have, no, I have a lot more a sympathy for Lenore Caridian than I did in <laughs> no the past. More when I was, like, yeah. look, you little freaks, I brought you into this and, world, so you're going to cover my ass, and you're going to like recite Shakespeare. Yeah, but at the same it's time, I mean, I, I really, th this episode as a kid was the very first time I encountered Shakespeare at all. Mm -hmm. and, and I didn't know anything about Shakespeare when I was watching Star Trek at five and six. And I remember, uh, this is the first time I knew, I mean, I remember asking my mom about Hamlet because of this and not knowing what any of it meant, you know, and, and what did that mean? And I was delighted to discover it was real. They didn't, it wasn't just a science fiction thing. You know, it was a real, and Shakespeare was real. And I think, because of this episode, it instilled in me a love of Shakespeare and sort of a sense of wonder. And a and love of crazy blondes. A, 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 oh, yeah. That is absolutely <laughs> true. That that still to this day uh, is with me. And you know what? <laughs> all, all I can say is yes. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, right to and Catherine Trammell. All the crazy blondes I've ever loved in my life, I still love. And they're all crazy and I love them for it. But But I also love Shakespeare. And um, I, I do think that uh, I do think that this and also look, I the, the femme fatale, the idea of a femme fatale and a, and a woman that is revealed like there's whenever I see movies like presumed innocent, you know, when Bonnie Bedelia is just trying to protect her husband, even though he's had an affair and you find out that she's the murderer at the end and take what? your pick. I know. I'm sorry. Spoiler alert. Uh, <laughs> it, it all went back to this for me, whether it's whether it's Glenn Close in Fatal Attraction. Lenore Caridian was my first experience, and I hope it's not my last experience with Crazy Blonde. I won't be Lenore'd. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. And it also had that great co cocktail music version of oh, the... Yeah. <laughs> and the it's terrible things he did. Um, okay, so that brings us to the end of episode one with number 90. And uh, I'm going to wrap up the first episode of our holiday countdown with the woman that went to her husband and said, I would like to do more than I did in the original show. Christine didn't have many lines. Can you do something cooler for me? And... Sure. Why Gene not? Roddenberry I'll, went to I'll, Tracy Torme. I'll call them up and and have them uh, whip up a character for you. And, and 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 Gene went into the writers' room and said, "Find something for Angel because Boys, Gene's up my Happy White, happy life. And Tracy Torme came up with the concept of Luoxana Troy. I should warn you, sir. My mother is a little eccentric. Where is everyone? Oh, I hate that. 
Hello, Mother. No, don't say it. Think it. Use your mind, not your mouth. Hello, Mother. Diana, shame. What has this life done to you? No, no, no. Don't tell me. You're the captain. Of course. Your daughter has explained your telepathic abilities. Now, that wasn't telepathy. It was just common sense. Who else would they send to greet me but the captain? Oh, you may carry my luggage. Mother. No, no. That's quite all right. Accompanied by her manservant, Mr. Hom, played by the great Carl Struckian, who we know is the giant from Twin Peaks, and of course, uh, Lurch. Lurch in the remake of The Addams Family. And we all know from the mob-invested Las Vegas convention in which uh, we were guests with uh, Carl and a oh, bunch yeah. of other Star Trek cast members. And I've told this story before on the podcast, and it bears repeating. You remember they were in their roach-infested hotel, and Rob and I got rooms at the Mirage, <laughs> and uh, they all called us begging for help. Can we come and crash on your couch? 400 of them. <laughs> and uh, I remember How it was, it was 11 p.m. at night. We were all looking for where we're going to go. We're hungry and tired. And this convention looked like it was going to be an utter disaster. Yeah. And we went to Planet Hollywood in the forum, Caesars Forum Shops. And never have I been received like we were that night when uh, the, the, the entire um, the wait, wait staff and the managers came running out because Carl Struckian Lurch from the Adams family was there and they just fed us with food galore and, and gave us prizes and gave us gift bags and comped our meal. And it was like, I think the first time a celebrity had ever walked into their restaurant and they were so excited. And we all had all the Rice Krispie treats. We could, right. What do they have? The chicken Rice Krispie treats? Yeah, those are good. Those were really good. <laughs> But that was an incredible convention because, of course, we went the next day and nobody was there. And then when we went on Sunday, the convention organizer was gone. He's gone. There's nothing we could do. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so it was pretty crazy. But anyway, Luoxana Troy and Mr. Hom. He was um, anti-mame in space. Anti-mame in space. You know, in a way, she was All kind of like the unsinkable Molly Brown. Uh, she was everybody's annoying mother-in-law. And uh, it actually is a really fun character. She's Troy's mom, and a little went a long way. Um, she did and, have some good moments, like with David Ogden Stiers in yeah, Half a yeah, Life. Yeah, Half a Life got a more serious story. You know who she was kind of like? You watched The White Lotus? She's kind of like Jennifer Coolidge in The yeah. White Lotus <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> in that episode. Um, but, uh, you know, it's a fun character. She was really at the, you know, she did a great job. This role was clearly tailored for her strengths. Um, but, you know, it was hit or miss depending on the episodes. Half a Life is terrific. Haven is pretty good. Um, you know, uh, but then you have something like Menage Troy. Oh, God. And uh, Manhunt, which is awful. So uh, it really depended on, on the scripts. And of course, Mr. Hom is her manservant. He was just a very tall and lanky kind of, uh, uh, alien uh, who uh, attended to her needs, but it was it was a fun character, very memorable, and uh, it's how I think uh, Majel would uh, best like to be remembered. In addition to being the first lady of Star Trek, uh, this wonderful performance she gave as uh, Luoxana Troy. Even though I've had to, speaking of being stricken uh, from the uh, from the from my brain, I, uh, I occasionally have to remind myself that she had a thing for Odo. Oh, that's right. That's right. It's like she kind of kept popping back up on a show where she did not belong. Not at all. 
Yeah. Yeah. How did she end up on that? I mean, because this was after Gene passed. I was like, you got to put me on the show. Can <laughs> hey, find a way. Maybe and they needed her to do more uh, computer voice, and uh, this was the yeah. way that they got her to yeah. do it. That's right off. Kind of yeah. like uh, Stuart Baird directing Nemesis for fixing Tomb Raider 2. Oh, yep. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah wait, right. what? <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> oh my gosh, Darren, what were you? What, what, did you like Lux on Troy? No, <laughs> <laughs> you know, she's fine, she's just not, she's not for me. I, I, because I, I don't really like Deanna Troy, so any additions to her character, I don't really care for. Yeah, Marina loved it because she had a great relationship with Mangel, but I also sure. think it was because she had more screen time whenever Luoxana was right. around. And of course, she had this, it's interesting because this uh, um, Nurse Chapel, she had a crush on Spock. As yeah. Luoxana Troy, she had a mad crush on Picard. Yes. Which was unreciprocated. Yes. You know who she reminded me of in a really terrible way? Uh -oh. Silas Bellaby. On, Cyrus um, Bellaby. Cyrus Bellaby <laughs> Battlestar Galactica. Remember the one where Adama has to get the part yes. to yes. repair the ship? And the only person who'll do it is Cyrus Bellaby, but she's in love with Adama. Not to be confused with Cyrus Redblock. Yes. Who is also <laughs> Adama, but that's a different thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Well, I got to tell you, that brings us to the end of, of part one, our first 90 top 101 wow. Star Trek characters. We got a long way to go, gentlemen. <laughs> That's right. right uh, now, 101. Oh, Are we going to do like, you know, some God. year, like the top 101 um, episodes of Inglorious <laughs> Trexperts counting down the top 101 things of anything? 20-hour podcast series. Well, I can't wait until we do the wrap-up episode for the podcast where oh we look God. back at November. what it was like to record all 19 episodes of wow. the holiday special. Um, well, but this was a, this was an interesting start. I'm sure we got a lot of uh, great picks coming up, a lot of surprises coming up, I, uh, and probably some expected. I, I hope we gave it a good start. Oh, God, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I've never delivered a baby before. But it's been a long time since I delivered a baby. Um, but yeah, no, this is this is very interesting. And, you know, will we see your favorite characters and your favorite shows represented? Well, the only way to find out is to stick with us and join us for the next episode of the Star Trek Inglorious Trexperts 101 Greatest mm -hmm. Character Countdown. Holiday special. I know Dang. the holiday specials. This is really a wonderful, wonderful tradition. And uh, on the next episode, I'll be interested in hearing what you all want for the holidays. So if you'd like to know what's on our holiday list, you'll have to join us for part two of the Trexperts holiday countdown. And until then, on behalf of Robert Meyer Burnett, Ashley Edward Miller, Darren Docterman, and myself, Mark A. Altman, keep on trekking ingloriously, of course. Then he smiled at me, a rump of me and my drum, a rump of a rump of pom pom pom, rump of pom pom, rump of pom pom pom, me and my drum. Pa-rum-pum-pum, pa-rum-pum-pum-pum.